Awesome. How's it going? Good. Good, good. Good to see you all. Welcome. Pumped you're here. And uh, I'm pumped to hear Brian's voice. It's a blessing to hear him speak again. And it's been a few months. But uh, yeah. And so, I mean, I just encourage you. You know, I, I, I really appreciate Brian being transparent with what's going on with his family. And I'd encourage you. I mean, if God is laying something on your heart um, in a way that you can minister to them and their family, if that's spiritually or physically, um, then, then I would, don't be, don't be shy. Reach out to them. Um, because that's what this is about, right? We're a family. Um, and, and just because Brian leads this thing, man, doesn't make him invincible, right? And I think God has shown us that, that, man, uh, their family is just as much as need as we are. Um, and, and so I just encourage you, if, if God is doing that, laying on your heart, don't, please don't ignore it. Um, because I believe the Holy Spirit uh, works in that way and puts things on our hearts for us to be actively ministering to one another. Amen? Yeah. And so, um, also, um, if you're gluten-free here, you're loved. Just want you to know that. And you, we will have a, se- a section, a table, at the party where we can hang out. Okay? Yeah. That's cute. Um, we have gluten-free communion. I mean, come on. We love gluten-free people here. Amen? Yeah. I'm going to pray one more time for us and our time in the Word, and we'll get to this. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you're a father. Uh, you're a father that knows us, that cares for us. And, and God, I thank you that, that you, that you want to hear our needs, that you want to hear our pain. And so, God, I thank you that, that you don't just hear it out, but you're a God that involves yourself in it, all the way to the point of sending your own son to, to take upon that pain upon his own life for us in mind. Thank you, God, that the gospel... It is not just something we admire, but something that actually works out in our lives. It's not just news, but it's news that transforms. And so, Jesus, we just, I just want to ask that you would just have your way in our hearts this morning, that you would just, just work on us as Christians, as, as people on this journey in life, trying to figure out who you are, what you're calling us to. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just have a, a way of working this morning and using my words. So, Lord, equip me to deliver this message. Lord, we, we love you, Jesus. We worship you this morning and pray this in your glorious name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Okay. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, we have ushers that would love to get you a Bible. So just feel free to raise your hand and say, I, I forgot a Bible, but I know that Jesus still loves me. And just because I didn't come with a Bible doesn't mean I'm any less than anyone else. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Yay, you all get stars on the, yeah, whatever, never mind. Okay, Bible, open your Bibles, Ephesians 3. I don't know, I grew up in Sunday school and you got stars if you did something good. And I just never, I don't know, there's always more stars than I had on the chart, you know, and it just kind of haunted me, so here we are. But I have my Bible today, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, what we're at here is Paul, uh, and kind of the way that we work this on, on Sunday mornings is we just like to work through a book in the Bible. I mean, we feel there's a lot of different ways to teach God's Word, um, but this is one way that we tend to teach it more often. It's just kind of working through every chapter, every book, and because uh, we want to take in the whole Word, you know? We don't want to pick and choose uh, little passages that, that we like, but we, we want to take it all in, and so that's kind of why we're doing this. So we're right in the middle of this book. In chapter 1, we've kind of seen that Paul... Um, just expounds all these huge ideas of who God is, what his plan for salvation is, and and just kind of like stretching our minds in the deep end of maybe the theological spectrum of of this this truth of salvation. 
And then in chapter 2, he starts to kind of talk about us and, and our current state, being in rebellion and lost and sinful, but at the same time, bringing in the love of God and the pursuit for us. And then in chapter 3, he starts to get more involved in the, the, the history of salvation. Now, the way it had worked, God set his love on these people called the Jews early on and said, these are the people that I want to, 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 to receive my salvation, to be the light to the world and to go out and to, and to be this witness. And then prophets prophesied that through the Jews, the light of God would come to the whole world. And so what Paul's doing in, in Ephesians 3 is kind of bringing out this idea, the story of salvation about how this mystery of how this works out of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together, you know, how this actually plays out in the plan and story of God. Um, and and we're, we're picking it up this morning, starting in verse 7 in chapter 3. And, and Paul, I, I love this, Paul kind of gets a little personal with himself in this. And um, so let's just read it and we'll get to it. So Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So we get, this is interesting. Paul kind of intros this. I mean, this is a dense text, okay? I'm not going to lie. If you lost me there, it's okay. We're going we're to work through this together. Um, but Paul intros this whole thing, talking about himself. Uh, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace and was given to me by the working of his power. Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me uh, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul, um, I want you to look at this phrase right here. He kind of gives himself, he, he, he lists his role. He says, I'm here to preach. I'm here to preach to not just to Jews, but to the Gentiles. My mission, my, my word is to the whole world. Um, but then he kind of gives himself this title. And we learn a, bit, a, a little bit about how the way Paul sees himself. And he, he says this, he says, I am the least of the saints. I'm the least of the saints. Now, in, in some other different texts, we see Paul kind of um, on earlier years of, of writing um, to different churches and different letters, we see him describe himself in a different light in, in a way. Um, like, listen to this. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, when he writes to the Corinthian church, it's, it's actually quite a bit earlier, several years earlier than he wrote to the Ephesian church. And he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. So in this, this text, we see Paul at the very beginning there. He says, he says, sees himself as the least of the apostles. Now, earlier on in Paul's life, he sees himself like, I'm the lowest of the, of the teachers of the church, the leaders of the church. I'm the, I'm the lowest of that, of that group. Um, and then when we come to our text in Ephesians, we see himself, I'm the least of the saints. And then listen to this. 
Listen to this. This is in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12-15. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because, he acted, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to this right here. Thus, this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So you see this progression. Now, this is when, when Paul's writing to Timothy, this is toward the end of his ministry. It's like old Papa Paul at this time. Like he's writing to this young man who's about to head out on his journey, the pastor of uh, the church in Ephesus. And he sees, he says to himself, like, man, I, I come from a background of sin. I come from a lot of, of things that I, I regret that I did and, and, and persecuted the church. I mean, Paul, Paul literally was holding the robes as a youth while they stoned Stephen and w- was for it. And that wasn't just an isolated incident. Paul was on a mission to destroy the church of God, to murder people. And, and Paul's looking at that, and, and, and he, it seems to have an effect on the way that he sees himself later in life compared to when he sees himself early in life. Early in life, I'm the least of the apostles, and then I'm the least of the saints, and now I'm the least, I'm the first sinner. I'm the first of sinners, foremost of sinners. And so it seems that Paul, this is what I think may be happening, is that Paul was going from city to city to city, ministering to people. Paul got to see, I mean, he had like this bird's eye view of what God was doing in this region of the early church. He got to see the grace of God extend, not just to Jews and, and maybe a few others, but he got to see it extend, man, to people he would never ex- expect to see in the church. And then I think toward the end of his life, because Paul had such a rich taste of grace, he said, man, I see eye to eye, not just with my fellow believers, but with the world. Because I've come from a history of sin. You know, I, I was thinking this morning, I was like, I was asking Nicole, my wife, you know, I was like, hey, what if I just ask, kind of start asking questions, get a feel kind of for where we all come from. And then, you know, I read her my question. She's like, no, that would be really awkward. It would be really uncomfortable. And so, thank you, sweetheart, for giving me that advice. But, uh, in, you know, I, mean, if, I think if we think about it, I mean, you guys know yourself. You know where you come from. And, and the people that have been through just um, such deep sin and um, have, ha- have been sent against, um, those people seem to, that know the Lord, they seem to have such a sweet taste of grace much different than maybe if life hasn't yet hit you. Um, and, and I think that Paul, as an old man, had experienced this, this progression of growth in his identity as he saw the grace of God not only unfolding in his own life, but in the lives of people around him. Um, listen, listen to this text. This is in um, Corinthians. He says this, um, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither will the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? So Paul, Paul's like, I, I love this text so much because Paul is so honest with the fact that the church, we, there's this myth that the church is just these 
oh yeah, I grew up in a church and here I am, you know, my parents believe, so I believe. But I think if we truly looked around and looked into our own lives, man, we come from so many different walks of lives, so many different, uh, uh, different backgrounds, Republican, Democrat. I mean, we, there's so many different types of abuses. So many, I, I don't know. I think we come from so many walks of life and that's part of what makes the church so beautiful. And, it, and, and, and not only that, it shows off just how rich the grace of God is to minister to all of us in so many different uh, ways. And I mean, Paul had this wonderful view of, of seeing, uh, from a bird's eye view, grace um, you know, happen in all these different lives. And so I think that what's really cool about this too, as Paul kind of shares a little bit about himself, he sh- we see this progression of growth in Paul's life, in Paul. Okay, Paul wrote over 70% of the New Testament. It's easy to be like, oh, holy Paul. But I think we see right here that this was a guy whose identity was in process. He was growing, and his humility was being challenged. Not just to see himself, I'm a leader of the church. Oh, I'm the lowest leader. Oh, wow, how humble of you, Paul. And then he's like, well, I'm just one of you Christians. I'm just one of you. And then it just gets to the point where, man, he sees eye to eye with his neighbor. I mean... Isn't it so easy for us to just to look at someone that's, I mean, in a, a really broken place and just to feel a little bit better about yourself? And just to feel, oh, yeah, you know, at least I'm not like that. Really? I mean, if there was a monitor on your forehead for everything that's going through your brain, we would all be abhorred, right? Honestly, I mean, that's the reality. Just because you're better at covering up doesn't make you win. Uh, and so I think Paul, as he grew, he started to see, man, Though I am a believer in Jesus, man, my hope and desire for healing and redemption is the same hope that maybe is in, in someone who does not know yet know Christ. Because as Ecclesiastes and Solomon wrote, eternity is written on the hearts of man. That there is a desire for something greater. And people are filling it with so many different things. But Jesus comes and says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I bring that healing. And Paul got the witness, actually witnessed that happen in his church. Um, you know, I was thinking about when I first started coming to this church um, back in 2002, um, years ago. And, you know, something, you know, you come to the city, you know, there's so many churches, right? There's so many different uh, great churches, uh, options. Like, where do I go, you know? I don't know. I just, I think I just showed up in a, a bus with my roommates, you know, VW bus. And we just, all right, we'll go here. And, and, but there was something, that, man, when Brian, this message that Brian shared I remember it. It was on, on 3 John, and it was about this message about this pastor who was basically suppressing all this ministry to happen because the ministry was just all about him. And he, it was just his show. And I remember Brian kind of expounding that and, and really sharing a lot of his heart and saying, you know, I'm not perfect. This church is here because Jesus called me to this church, but I'm not the answer for this church. I'm not the hero of this story. And, and I just really enjoyed the humbleness I was hearing from this guy. And, and it made him say, you know what? I can trust this guy because God's not done with him because he doesn't think he's there. Isn't it kind of just a little uncomfortable when someone stands up in a place of uh, speaking and you're like, and they just come across like, you know, I hope you guys can, can think the way I think and be as perfect as I am. And, and I've, never, I've never experienced that from Brian. I've always seen this heart that has been soft. It's almost like the humility I see in him has been like the tilling of the soil in his heart that's just, just open to be planted in, new. And, and, and to see him, that he's not a man who thinks he's grown, 
but he is in process growing. And I want to be that man as well. You know, I, I, I look at this as Paul, and it inspires me because it says, like, you know, he's seen this old man who's really experienced the richness of grace. And it's like, dude, I just want to be that guy in the church with a gray mustache, you know, and just that, that senses God's grace all the more in my later years. That I don't ever feel like, I, well, yeah, I've heard that passage before. I want that passage to come to life for me every time, even more, more boldly. And that, that, that's a personal prayer of mine. Um, and I think Paul, man, that's just radical to see this guy later in his life as he's grown and he's continued to minister and grace seems to be all the more rich uh, for him. But, okay, now let's get into this, the heavier part. So Paul kind of starts um, with talking about himself, his call, he's gifted, his preaching, he has a his very clear mission um, that is incredibly humble at the same time. And then look at this at verse, uh, verse 8, let's read verse 8 again. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, I think, honestly, just pause it. I think we could, <laughs> we could sit and on that little phrase for hours. You will be here all day. No, but we could. You know, that just the unsearchable riches of Christ is such a, a phrase that I think uh, deserves quite a bit of work. Um, but listen, he's going, he says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So again, kind of, Referencing, you know, Gunther last week kind of kind of broke down for us this this dilemma in the church was is the gospel really for everyone? I mean, and, and this is kind of how it went down. It was like the, the prophets prophesied the Gentiles would believe through the story of the Jews, but the question was not will they be saved, but will they actually be brought into this church? Will they be made a new creation? Because isn't it easy for us to, I mean, you can like, you can have this uh, way of showing favor to your neighbor, but, and then, and, and, but when it comes down to it, you're like, I really don't like them. I don't really want to spend time with them, you know? And, and I'll just, that's why I have a fence. And, uh, you know, and, you know there's, it comes down to where we, we have a hard time truly opening ourselves up and seeing like, man, can the church really be made up of anyone? I mean, can we really um, have the most unexpected people come into this church, and would they be welcome and accepted here? And this isn't a new problem for us. I mean, this was exactly what was going on in the early church. The Jews had this mindset saying, yeah, they can, they can believe, but I'm not sure if we can, if, if, what it's going to look like having them a part of our fellowship. And if I just give you a little bit of church history, it's interesting in Acts 15, as we see the Acts is the accounts of the church, um, the early church. And in Acts 15, we see the very first argument in the church come up. And it's not, it's not about predestination and sovereignty or gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's actually about this very issue. Can the Gentiles be included in the body of Christ? Can that happen? Because uh, it's really a radical story if you're interested in it. Um, read Acts 10. It's a story about this guy named Cornelius, um, not the ape from the planet of the apes, but uh, Cornelius actually um, received this vision from God saying, um, send for this man named Peter. And so Peter... Uh, was called and he came and he starts to share the gospel with them. And then as he starts speaking, the Holy Spirit falls and they begin to worship God and speak different tongues. And it's just a really radical story. And these people were the first Gentile believers, which is really radical. So um, if you're interested, there you go. Write that down. But now this, so that's the dilemma. That's what's going on in this question here 
um, this unsearchable riches to bring. And Paul says this message is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay. This is where he starts to walk into the deep end of this whole passage. Um, There's this idea. He brings up creation, which I think is significant. He brings up this idea that God who created all things has revealed through the church the manifold wisdom of God. And I think this is what he's doing. He's talking about the church in in a way that may may have been a bit challenging. Um, He's saying the church is actually this creation of God is actually this people that God is bringing together with a very interesting and glorious mission. He uses this word there to describe that mission, to bring forward the manifold wisdom of God. Now, this word manifold, if you're like a Greek you know, geek or something, you're, really, you're going to love this point right here. It, manifold is the only place in the Bible that we see this Greek word manifold. It's like polycolous, I don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, this, word, this word manifold, it means uh, brilliance or very many intricacies. So it's, it's, it's not translated very well from the original Greek text. Um, but what he's doing here, Paul's saying the church is given this mission to bring forward the wisdom, the brilliant wisdom and glory and passion and heart of God to the world. And that we are, in a sense, that is the means by which God said, I want to be known. And now, I don't know, I have like such an imagination sometimes. I think it's from when I was young, but I feel like it never went away. And I imagine this, the way that, the ways that God could have revealed himself to us. I mean, have you ever thought about this? It's like, I mean, he could have just lit up the sky with lightning, writing his name, writing his truth. I mean, just floored us, right? He could have crashed planets together and like, I don't know, done something incredible like that. Or he could have sent down a, a legion of angels uh, led by Michael and like Gandalf and, you know, and just, yeah, maybe not. Uh, he could have done whatever he wanted. I mean, can you imagine what that would be? I mean, for him to bring that, there seems to me, okay, honestly, there seems so many better ways for God to display his manifold wisdom and glory. But instead, for some reason, he said, no, uh, I actually want to use the church. And then the Holy Spirit and Jesus were like, you serious? Is that a good idea? It's like, of course, it's, it's the idea. I invented it. I invented ideas. And, uh, you know, and God says, I'm going to use this church made up of sinful people, rebellious and broken hearts, and I'm going to use them to just resound the manifold wisdom of God. Is that crazy? I mean, okay, the picture that came to mind is, is like this. It's like, I think I have a paintbrush. Oh, here it is. Paintbrush. Okay, here's a paintbrush. Um, this is a weathered paintbrush. It's like rock solid. So if you make a run, I can, yeah. Uh, so be careful. But this, this paintbrush, you know, if you look at it from a distance here, you're like, okay, yeah, that's a paintbrush. And it's almost like God is painting on the canvas of history this manifold wisdom, displaying who he is. Uh, and he's using the church. And the church is, in a sense, like, like this paintbrush. Now, check out this photo. I took, took this little photo the other day. And... Um, this is when you really zoom in on, um, on a paintbrush full of paint. And the question is, seriously, like, like, really, Ben? Like, God would use a church to display himself? I mean, don't you, 
don't you have eyes to see how broken and how, uh, how, much, how many issues the church has had over so many years? How divided it can be? But when you think about it, I mean, look at this picture. This is the picture that came to mind um, for me. And it helps me when I visualize something to actually make it. I think that's kind of why I do what I do with photography and filmmaking. But it's just a, I mean, it's made up of so many colors. And it looks, and it's, it looks messy, right? I mean, when you really zoom in and see every bristle, it's a messy-looking picture. But in a sense, it's very it's, it's intricate. There's, there's so many intricacies in this picture, and I wish I had a lens to get in tighter, you know, but I don't. And, uh, but, you know, it gives me a little bit of a taste of I think it's kind of like that. The church of God is like it when you zoom in. Man, you see many denominations. You see many personalities. You see many different giftings. You see all these different ways that, man, God is stroking this, painting this picture that maybe we don't necessarily understand because we're so close to it. But, man, if we had that, that ability one day to step back and to actually see what God is painting in all of humanity, and I, I believe we will. That's the exciting thing. Man, I think we're going to say, man, that is a beautiful, a beautiful canvas. Thank God the church was in the hand of the artist. And an interesting thing, when you think about this, I mean, throughout the scriptures, we see God, um, you know, speak of himself somewhat like an artist. You know, um, when he talks about us, he says that we are um, the workmanship of his hand, you know, created for good works. We see that in Ephesians 2.10. Um, we also see in Ephesians, uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. They, are, they proclaim his handiwork. So we see God that is a God who creates, and, and in any type of creation, I don't know, I, even, I don't even think it matters if you're an artist. Anything that you do, there's an element of you in that thing that you create, right? In that job that you do, that you exercise, there's a little bit of you. And we see that when, when we look down on this story and the manifold wisdom of God, and we see that God not only just uh, shows off his glories, like Romans 1 says, to the, to the, the whole world, he, he, there's evidence of him when we look at creation. We see that in Romans 1. But also, get this, God is a God who the artist actually enters himself into his artwork, into his canvas. And we see that with the sending of his own son, Jesus. He's like, I'm actually going to involve myself in this humanity and be the cornerstone to this new people who have such a mission to take on the manifold wisdom of God and see it displayed. And see it, that, see it made known. I mean, what a mission. What a mission that is. And how amazing is it that God says, I'm going to give it to them. Sinful humanity. And they are going to be the ones that resound my glory. Blows my mind. And now get this. If that doesn't blow your mind, listen to where the audience that Paul points to. He says, this, this manifold wisdom is going to be displayed and says this in verse 10. Through the church, the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom is being made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Like, what's that? Simply this. He's simply saying that the angels, the angels are the ones who are looking down and receiving this truth. Receiving and watching and seeing the gospel unfold here among our world. I mean, listen to this in 1 Peter um, Paul gives us this really interesting verse. Uh, the end of 1 Peter 1.12 says this, prophet, the prophets preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. That word, long to look, 
is actually, uh, it's, the Greek is epithemeo, and it, which means it has a, a strong desire, even to the degree of, of a lust. It, and so it's a very powerful verb that Paul is using, or I'm sorry, Peter is using to describe that this gospel is something that the angels are longing to look into, that they're looking down and saying, wow, look at what God is doing with these people. And you, I think it's the first question that came to my mind is like, wait, aren't the angels in the presence of God? What do we have to teach them? Right? I mean, geez, I, I'll teach them how to play Xbox. No, it's like, we have, I mean, we, we're just people. They're angels. Some of them have six wings. That's crazy. And, but, but this, I think it's this. The angels never received the opportunity for grace. They never, it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says that the angels uh, never received the opportunity to repent from sin. So when the rebellion happened, it was simply God cut them off. And some angels stayed. And some angels continued to go. Now, okay, I'm, I'm entering into um, some very deep things, but they're in the word here. And I think it's valuable for us to see it because of this. The angels are looking down on us. And seeing this magnificent grace being extended to us. And it's something that they've never personally tasted for themselves. And so in a sense, the gospel is not just something that we want to see manifested. The manifold wisdom displayed to San Luis Obispo and this country and the world. But man, it's actually on display for all of the angels in heavenly places and authorities to see. Does that blow your mind? I mean, okay. They long to look into this thing, these things. They're watching humanity unfold. What, what, it, what about us? Where are we at? I mean, do, is this gospel something of that much value to us where we're actually saying, man, wow, I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe that God has forgiven me. I have so much sin. I have such a history. But man, when, when, when we see that at the same time, the gospel isn't just a reminder of all our sin, but the, the beautiful love of God comes together. And, and, and that's truly my testimony. When I, when I became a Christian at 18 years old, I, was just so, I was just felt so defiled by the sin in my life. I felt disgusting. And it, it was this, this night where I just, for the first time in my life, sin was something that was an offense towards God, not just an inconvenience for, towards me. And I saw that my sin was was disgusting towards God, but, but it was so crazy because at the same time, I felt God just laid on my heart, Ben, I'm a, I'm a God that cleanses. I'm a God that cleanses. So it was this weird um, joining of both, man, a realization of just how far I've fallen away from God, but at the same time, man, just how powerful and deep and vast the love of God is to come and reach us. And I think the angels have this front row seat of looking down and seeing just what God is doing on the canvas of humanity. Does that blow your mind? Blows my mind. I, I haven't even been watching Star Trek lately, I promise. But I saw this and I was like, this is crazy. And I don't know. So, okay. Uh, yeah, and so Paul is kind of explaining to us this audience um, of this, this manifold wisdom of going down. And I think I need to make this point too. It's easy for us to read this text about the manifold wisdom of God and it's easy to take it as like, okay, God has this cosmic lecture for us to enjoy. It's like, really? You know, I don't think it's simply that, that we gather here just to, to, to have one more lecture and learn about God. But what this manifold wisdom is, not just sh- for God to resound and show off his glory to us through his, 
the story of grace and his love for humanity. But it's actually, the hope is that that grace and story infiltrates our lives. So we're not just recipients of it, but we're meant with people to exercise it in the people's lives around us. And so that's where it's just exciting because we get to be creative with the different influences that God has given us. The different people groups that God has put us around, right? I mean, I don't work on cars, but some of you may. And you have the ability to be around those types of people and, and, and minister to them. I mean, we could just go on and on and on on all the different environments that God has put this church in and put Christians in to see purpose in those things. I mean, okay, I was reading um, this little article and, and I read this really interesting quote from Luther. Someone asked him, if, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do today? And he says, I'd plant an apple tree. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Because I think that it's not just that Luther was ignorant of the gospel. Of course not, right? He planted hundreds of churches. He was fighting to see these truths come forward in a church that was suppressing them, in a church that didn't want to make these truths known to people. Uh, he was very, very, very actively involved in seeing the gospel go forward. But at the same time, Luther saw that his life, even in the mundane task, we might think mundane, everything had purpose for the grand glory and story of God. That investing in this city is important. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for Calvary Slow? Okay, not just that. When was the last time you prayed for the mission that Calvary Slow would have in San Luis Obispo? Because this is the thing. We can so easily turn this into just a mirror we're looking at and saying, well, look at us, look at us, look at us, look, what, look how much God loves us. But man, this manifold wisdom is here to not only inspire us, but to equip us. We have the great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be the bristles on the brush in the hand of a good, loving God. How crazy is that? And so this, this is that, that question of like, how often do we pray? I mean, this is a personal question for me. Like, how often do I really pray for my neighborhood, for the neighbors around me? And I'll be honest, man, last year, Brian's like, hey, man, invite people to church. Um, I'm like, yeah, cool. We're walking to all the neighbors. Hey, would you like to come to church? No, we would not like to come to church. Oh, okay. Now, uh, it, it's, that was awkward. That was hard. I was really bummed that it was that much opposition toward hearing my neighbors not want to come to church. But man, if anything, man, these people know that I care and want them to be a part of this. I have, I have that much more um, insight, I guess, to pray for them. So I, I would just ask you, to, I mean, seeing this church as not just here for us and to learn fill our minds with more spiritual things. But our church is here, man, for this city, for the people, because God loves people. I don't know if you ever knew that. But God loves people, and that's why this church exists. Because God had laid this on the heart of Brian to plant this thing. Because Brian wants to see people saved. We could care less where you land theologically. We could care less what gifts you've given. But what we care about most is we want to see people meet Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus heals. And we believe that Jesus is the answer for the world and San Luis Obispo. This isn't just a pep talk. This is the mission that's been given to us. The plans unfolded for all of humanity start, can start right here. I mean, I, I, I started as a youth pastor for a while. And people would always say, oh, man, it's so good. You're ministering in that stage of life. And I, I get it, what you're saying. But right now is an important stage in life too, right? And I, sense, I, I see this tendency for us to just kind of drift into complacency, complacency and miss the purposes of God. And these, man, this mission is on display for the universe. You get to witness to the angels. 
You're teachers of the universe. How crazy is that? <sighs> Blows my mind. I mean, uh, what, what if we meet some angel one day? Oh, I saw it when that happened. What? Crazy. I don't know. Okay. I'm too much imagination. Um, you know, and this thing early first service, honestly, I, I got a few questions about, okay, what about this? What about that? Um, I don't have all the answers on how this looks. I haven't been there, right? I haven't been to the third heaven. So um, I'm just simply saying, this is, what, this is the audience that Paul says, look at, look at how far your gospel goes. Look at you. You have the opportunity to encourage angels. Okay, moving on. Let's move on. Um, let's keep reading here. Verse, verse 10, the rulers and authorities and heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is, is your glory. So this is where this, I love this. It just comes into where, Paul is completing this idea that, man, the gospel is something that is reaching so far to all peoples. As we say in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. For who? First the Jews, then the Greeks. He's including that, man, this is something that Paul is is on a mission for. And he's saying that we see this gospel, this eternal purpose. We see this, it says this word realized in my translation, but in other translations it may say accomplished or uh, completed we see this, these purposes, we see them completed in Jesus Christ because this is his mission. Jesus came among us, gave himself for us. He came as the full radiance and glory of God dwelt among sinful people. And not only did he just live with us, man, he entered into our humanity to the point of death. He experienced pain and suffering on our behalf. It even says that he experienced every single temptation we'd ever experience. You know, and I just see that, man, Jesus, Jesus is someone who understands. He's not separated from our pain. And I appreciate hearing from our pastor just where they're at right now, the pain that they're going through, the things that happen. And I just, you know, and we've had these conversations before that without the fact, without the reality of a God that actually has experienced suffering, it would be hard to actually have a relationship with him. Because isn't it true, the people that you suffer with, you become closest with? Jesus has actually suffered with us in our place, with us in mind, when he went to the cross. I would share this with, with youth in the past. Uh, it, some, some, some scholars have said that it's interesting in the life of Jesus, we even see that um, toward the early part of his life, we have no more mention of his father. And that we see that Jesus may have been a, been a son that lived without a father, and I'd encourage my, my brothers with that, the people that I minister with, that, man, Jesus don't even understands what it's like for you to live without a dad in your life. I mean, there's so many things that go on and on and on about how Jesus is relating. And we see the eternal purposes of God summed up in Christ. And this, this eternal word, man, this is meaning more than just now are we seeing this eternal. We're seeing that in heaven, okay, we will never, ever experience the fullness of the grace of God. It's eternal. It's con- continually being outpoured that we never will get bored with it. I mean, I don't know if you ever had this thought of like, man, am I going to get bored in heaven? You know, I mean, that sounds cool to worship. Thanks, Travis. We like to worship. We love to worship. But, I mean, me and my friend Matt, when we were real young, we are like, he was just told me straight up. He's like, man, I don't think I want to go to heaven. I'm like, why not? I just don't want to sing forever. <laughs> and I don't know who taught us that. 
But, uh, you know, it, and I was like, yeah, man, I don't want to do that either. And, you know, and then I remember, you know, somewhat recently, this girl's talking to me, and, and she goes, uh, wouldn't it be cool, like, in heaven? Like, I mean, there'll be no sense of time, and we can just talk forever. I was like, this sounds like hell. <laughs> it's like, really? You're looking forward to this talking forever? <laughs> I was like, okay. But, but what we here see here is that <laughs> it's not that. It's maybe, okay, maybe, maybe for you. I don't know. If you want to talk forever in heaven, power to you. Uh, but, you know, so the, this, this idea that, man, all these things are being summed up, the eternal purpose of God, man, will take for all of eternity to explore and enjoy and, and, and discover. I mean, that, that just blows my mind. Now, finishing with this here, um, Paul, he starts off being very personal, and then he, he kind of brings it back, and he says this in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I love this passage because, and this little verse, because Paul's being very real with these Christians on his current state. He's literally writing this letter from jail. He spent much of his ministry in jail. But what's incredible about Paul is he actually wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon in prison. He wrote that on behalf of the church, the Holy Spirit giving him these, these, these revelations. And he saw that even in his time of pain and suffering, there was much purpose. Did you know that even in the book of Philemon, it's a story about how Paul met this guy in prison that was thrown in the prison for just cause, shares the gospel with him. He gets saved. And Paul even actually knows his master is a Christian and he sees them two reconciled. That's radical. Paul, even in the depths of pain and suffering, saw that there's purpose. There's purpose in my time. There's purpose in my pain. Because I think what it is, is Paul wasn't just hyped up. Wasn't just, uh, I think he had, he literally tasted what it would be like for, for, for God's gospel to reach the world. For the gospel of Jesus Christ to actually unfold. For the manifold intricacies and brilliances the glory of God, not just to be enjoyed by all, but to, to implement into everyday life. He had, he had a determination to see that happen. And I, and I bet you this, that I, I bet you that Brian has seen God use him in ways to minister that maybe he's never had a chance for ever before. I don't want to negate suffering as it's that we need to just, um, boy, it's very real. It's very, it's very hard. I understand that. But man, in, in our suffering, I believe that God sets us up as witnesses, man, to be intentional with it, to not waste it, to not grumble over it. Because why? Because Jesus, it's all been realized and wrapped up in Jesus. Because of Jesus, we enter with boldness. We enter with boldness and access. In the words there, boldness and access is really meaning freedom of speech. That we can come to God and speak to him freely. That he's a God who hears. When Jesus went to the cross, he hung on the cross. And while he was bleeding, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on his own son. He literally was crying the cry of, a, of, of someone separated from God. That what cannot be heard. But he, he cried that on our behalf so that we who ha- were separated from God could be brought near. He, he, so we could be brought near and we can speak to God. And come to him with our request. And come to him for help in, our, in time of our need. 
And Paul, I think, was very clear, and I love his transparency, saying, though I'm suffering, I do this for you, for your glory. Man, it is so easy for us. How are you doing? Good, fine. Really? I just think that's a lie from Satan. I just think Satan wants to roll that, that stupid phrase all day long. Now, I understand you can't be completely open with every single person you meet. But man, there needs to be a time and a place. You can get real. You can get real with your doubt. I mean, I, I get it if you don't believe everything I'm saying. But I believe that God is a God who meets us where we are. I believe that God is a God whose truth is not just the one other idea we put on the shelf, but I believe that God's truth is the answer and hope for this world. And because of that, that, that's, why, that's why I do this. That's why Brian does this. That's why, we, that's why we gather together because we believe in this gospel. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want to read one verse for you. I just want you to meditate on this verse as I close. This is Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses like Abraham and Rahab, the prostitute, Jews and Gentiles, let us lay aside every weight sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race is set before us looking to jesus looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god i want us to respond right now and we're going to respond in a few ways we're going to worship god because this this truth man i get it you're chewing on this and this is a lot to swallow um I want to continue, I want to ask you to continue to think and continue to ask. Uh, man, Jesus says, ask and you receive and your joy will be made complete. I want you to ask this morning for God to give us, give us, give us revelation, give us purpose. I want to see this church literally be that city on a hill. We're not the answer to the city. We're a church. We're a part of what God is doing in this world. But man, I think we've got work to do. Um, yeah, and, and so let me pray for you guys. We're going to worship. Mm.